Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Carruthers. Welcome to another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice, our weekly Moto America podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Weiss, who's out in Ohio. Uh, I'm here in Southern California, as is our guest. I won't tell you who it is yet, but you'll know in a few minutes anyway, so you can hold your horses a little bit. You probably know anyway, because if you saw the thing, you clicked on it, blah, blah, blah. So whatever. Sean, how's it going? You know, it's going well. And, and Paul, you, you know how sincere and earnest I am. I mean, I just can't help but be that way. Wear my heart and my sleeve and the whole bit. And I'm not going to say what this guest that we, I guess people know we're having on there, but he just told us something. And this guy tells me stuff. And I believe everything this guy tells me, like I believe everything that anybody ever tells me. And I'm so dang gullible that, again, yeah, I mean, I believed exactly what he said. And he's done this to me for years. So, and you know what? I'm the complete opposite because I don't believe a word he says. <laughs> <laughs> so we meet somewhere in the middle but yeah i uh i could sense that he was messing with us and uh and i would also knew that you would bite totally on that oh so. completely every single time you know yeah I just, uh, so i know we talk about the weather too much but i just had to tell you that's like it was 71 degrees here yesterday i rode well, my bicycle without even like any kind of uh, arm warmers or, or anything, just short sleeves, shorts, enjoyed the sunshine, rode down the coast, rode back, and I'm sure you're not in the same boat. So I just had to rub it in. No, but you know what's funny about that, Paul? I'm glad you mentioned this because I realized I definitely have seasonal affect disorder. Um, I, so, and it's a, and Ohio's a bad place to be because it's gray like all, all winter long. And yesterday, I think you know how salty I was yesterday. I was pissed off at the world. About, about about <laughs> so today it's sunny outside and it's cold. It's 37, but I am on top of the world, even though Josh Heron just, oh, I, I said the guest. Well, anyway, even though the <laughs> guest just, just tried to hose me and get me to believe something, which is easy to do, but. All right. Well, speaking of Josh Heron, I don't have a big introduction for him because everybody knows what he's done and what he did and who he is and who he isn't and what have you. But, um, Josh is our guest today. He, uh, he finished sixth in the uh, Moto America Superbike Championship last year on the Fresh and Lean Attack Yamaha. Uh, he had, I, I know he had a disappointing season, what he would call disappointing, but it was only, it, it really got disappointing just because he, you know, he ended up getting sick because he started out with three podiums. Um, then he had two seconds at the Ridge. He struggled a little bit at Laguna and then COVID happened. Um, and that kind of, you know, took the wind out of his sails quite literally for the rest of the year. He did have two more podiums at, at New Jersey Motorsports Park. But I think, you know, he, he I know he was disappointed because he, he was disappointed, you know, at, at all the races when he wasn't on the podium. And I think he was disappointed because he probably went into the season thinking that he was going to, you know, do not only do better, but win some races. Um, and to make matters worse, I mean, it's I don't think there's anything probably more difficult than being on a team when, when your teammate, you know, wins 17 of 19 races. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just deflating. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's great for your team. You're happy for the team, but you're just like, holy crap. You know, this is like, it's a bit much. 
And that's what he had last year. That's what he was faced with on his return to that Yamaha team was the fact that Jake Gagne, as we all know, had just an incredible season and pretty much left everybody in the paddock other than Jake Gagne feeling a bit frustrated. So um, he, it's not like Josh didn't have, uh, didn't have um, company in, in, in feeling the way that he did. But anyways, Josh, um, I, I want to start out with um, I want to start out with you something more important than motorcycle racing, and I want to ask you how fatherhood is treating you. Yeah, it's good. Thank, thanks for that uh, that awesome introduction there, Paul. A lot of positivity. <laughs> <laughs> See, he was messing with us. I thought for a second, I'm like, damn, Josh Heron's about to compliment me, and then you know, he just snatched it right out from under my feet. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, I was, just throw me, cool. just throw me in the ringer there. Damn. <laughs> no, come on, dude. I thought I made you sound really good. <laughs> oh man, yeah fatherhood's been good I don't I don't know if I would man it doesn't seem like fatherhood it's been you know there's a lot of late nights Rachel does most most all the late nights but it's you know lots lots of late nights um but which has actually been really good because now when I went to this this test of Daytona with with the team it uh made waking up early seem like I was sleeping in so that that was nice but uh it's been it's been amazing it's nobody could could really uh you know, prepare me for, for how good of a feeling it would be to, to be a father and, and to see my wife, Rachel, be a mother. And, and, uh, it's, it's been pretty, pretty life-changing to say the least. And, um, you know, even, even on the racing side, it's made, it's made racing, um, fun, you know, it hasn't been fun for a while. And, and I think, Griffin has somehow made, made racing seem, seem fun again. I don't know if it's because I I'm excited for him to, to see me race in the future or, or what it is, but it's, it's been great, you know, at home and, and at the track and, and uh, you know, nothing, nothing but, but positive things to say. And I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, I, I had so many friends and fans and family tell me, Oh, just wait, just wait. And I keep waiting. And there's, there's not one negative thing about it. And <laughs> it's been uh it's, it's been nothing but, but good things. And, and, um, yeah, it's just getting better by the day. It seems like, so I'm, I'm definitely, definitely happy and, and, uh, yeah, ready, ready to be able to bring Griffin to the track. That's for sure. Well, the bad parts is the parts where you pick them up and hand them to Rachel. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know how that works. And you also did mention that she's the one that gets up in the night, which is the part that sucks the most. So <laughs> it's, uh, we've been so lucky he's he turned four months a couple days ago and he uh for the most part he's he's sleeping 10 hours a night i mean he, he goes to bed at you know eight eight o'clock eight thirty, and wakes up at about five at, you know nine times out of ten i wake up at the for the morning feed which is usually about five thirty or something but you know there's nights like i think rachel's always you know she just she seems to get up a lot during the night anyways before we had the baby but now it seems to be a little bit more and you know, every time you wake up, maybe you hear him make a noise. So she sits and stares at him and makes sure he's breathing. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, she, so she's, she is up a lot during the middle of the night. Um, but she refuses to give up that side of the bed. He sleeps on, on her side of the bed and she refuses to give it up. So I blame her for getting woke up all the time. <laughs> That's how moms are. But uh, the only <laughs> advice I can give you is with dealing with a baby is to have a schedule and stick to it. Like as far as when they go to bed at night, it sounds like he's already a good sleeper. 
But if you, you know, if you, if you get them used to the fact that they go to bed at eight o'clock or what have you, you know, it's something that you can, you can keep through their whole, you know, childhood. And it, it definitely helps when they're set. You know, I know some, I've had friends where their kids are up until 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night and they don't have, they don't have any time to themselves, you know? Yeah. He's, I can't remember. I mean, I'm sure Rachel would remind me whenever I get off the, get off the phone, but you know, I can't remember a time where he wasn't asleep before nine o'clock. He, she's really good about getting him to bed on time. And, and he does, you know, like I said, wakes up at five, we feed him. And then it's pretty much every three hours, he's got that internal uh, alarm clock down to a T you know, every three hours, you know, he'll give you five minutes. Actually, he'll give you about a minute of warning and then it's screaming. You better feed me. <laughs> so he knows, he knows every three hours for sure that it's time to eat. And, uh, yeah, we, we've done pretty, pretty good at sticking to it. Hey, Josh, I want to ask you about last year because, you know, throughout your career, I don't think you're, a, you're one that seems to be um, taken aback by circumstances too often. Um, I Just from my point of view, I know I, see, I have to have all my ducks in a row, as I'm sure you can tell, everything's got to be right. And if, if some, any one thing isn't right, I can't, it throws me off my game completely, you know, my concentration. You had so much going on last year. I mean, obviously the impending uh, birth of, of Griffin, but also you, you haven't been married that long, even though you, I know you've been with Rachel for a, a while, but, you know, the whole thing with the team and then, you know, the COVID situation, do you, did any of that affect you in any way? Or do you just kind of blow that off and just focus when you're on the racetrack, you just are able to focus on racing and you're good with it? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anybody that, you know, can look you in the eyes and, and be honest about the fact that they say that, you know, stuff doesn't affect them. I don't, I don't think not even 1% of me was affected anything by, you know, uh, you know, having a, a, knowing that a baby was coming That that definitely doesn't. The only thing that may have affected me with that was whenever I got COVID and I was just worried, you know, about Rachel and baby getting COVID as well. Um, but if anything, you know, Rachel and, and now Griffin just uh, makes, makes tough situations better. You know, I think Rachel's always done a good job about that. Just being in my corner and whenever stuff is going, going the wrong way, she, she's always there supporting me and, and trying to pick me up. But, but I also put so much, so much pressure on myself that I think that's, that's what hurts me the most. Um, if I'm, if I'm not having fun, you know, it makes racing really hard. And, uh, whenever you're not having a good year, when I'm not having a good year, it, it, uh, seems to pile up pretty quick. Um, I've usually been pretty good about getting myself out of those situations, but, but last year was, was just really tough. Um, and you know, there's, I, I would say lots of reasons, but, but it was uh, it was a tough year, and uh, I'm happy to be where I'm at now, and and uh, you know really excited to to move forward and and uh, yeah. You know, you definitely did the right thing, Josh. Just in talking to your your former teammate and your of recent of late uh, your rider coach, Josh uh, Hayes. You know, he's you he's probably told you this. I mean, he's trying to get his keep his racing going and kind of get get it going again um, because he wants. Hawk and his daughter to also um, to be able to see him race. And, you know, he laments the fact that he kind of had babies and children after, after, you know, he kind of the majority of his racing is done, but you've still got a lot of racing ahead of you. So 
was that was that a plan? Did you did you want to do it that way? And has, has Josh ever told you that that he wishes he would have had a, a kid maybe earlier, or, you know, kept his racing going? Um, I don't I don't think he's told me that, but it, it was always something that I wanted. You know, I, I feel like I was. You know, it was it was definitely planned. I mean, Rachel and I were, were trying to have baby and and, uh, you know, it's it's um, always something that I've wanted. I've wanted to have to have a kid and, and bring him to the races. I want him to see dad, you know, hopefully win in some races. I, uh, I, I obviously grew up idolizing my dad. You know, he was raced um, raced AMA a couple of times. But for the most part, I grew up watching him race at Willow Springs from, you know, I was born in 1990. So I right from the time I was born, I started going to Willow Springs and he quit racing in 2000 and two or 2003 and um you know after that it was uh you know we moved to georgia and aaron yates started coming riding at our house and and i saw you know how he how ashton his son grew up watching aaron win races and it was it was for sure always something that that i wanted in the back of my head you know i think uh it it's just cool being able to to see your dad do something you know you have those days where you know, it's bring your, bring your dad to school day and they talk about what their job is and all this stuff. And, you know, my goal someday is to, you know, be able to go into school with, with my kid and have him tell, tell everybody that his dad's a professional motorcycle racer. And, and, uh, you know, not, not only for that, but just, just to see him excited and, and see me chasing my dreams and, and motivate him to do the same thing. I don't want to have him born whenever I'm done racing. And then, then it seems like I'm just lost and trying to find my place in, in life. And, um, so I think it was, it was perfect timing, you know, I think perfect timing to have a baby, um, especially with this new team and, and it's, it's, um, yeah, everything is going great. And, and, and I'm really happy with, with life right now. You know, one, one more thing on this subject, Josh, and this is something I absolutely greatly admire about you. And it's the fact that you've always been oriented towards kids and trying to help them. Obviously you mentioned the hair and compound and all the, all the kids that have come up through in our paddock, uh, that, that have been there and still go there. Um, but you know, even the kids in mini cup, like Jesse James Shedden, and, and I, I know you've always been oriented towards helping kids and this is your own kid. So you've, you know, we know you love kids enough to want to have your own, and I'm sure you're going to be cool about whatever the kid wants to do is fine, but obviously you're probably going to want to get him a strider or a stay sick or one of those and, and go from there. So you've got to be excited as, as he grows to, you know, get him involved a little bit more in, in the sport that you love. Is that true? Yeah, it's, it is. And it isn't, you know, it's like you said, I've, I've always been into, um, I think it started when I was a kid, you know, I, I, like I said, idolized my dad as not just a person, but as a racer. And, and whenever I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old and going to AMA races at Fontana or auto club speedway, whatever you want to call it. I even Willow Springs, you know, seeing, seeing guys come and race there, but it really started when I was probably 12 years old. I went to a race with my dad at auto club speedway. He was racing. I think he was racing 750 super sport. And, um, you know, I, I went around with my leathers for two years in a row and, and would ask riders to, to autograph my leathers. And, you know, there's lots of stories I could get into, but the one that stands out the most was, was Jason DeSalvo inviting me into his, his motorhome at the time. It was just him and his dad. I think the team was, was it called American racing or was it called alien racing? Do you remember Paul? I don't remember that. That's when he so had was, the red, white and blue, the little RS 125, right? Yeah, I think it was Team America Racing. Yeah, it was. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. And he had, uh, so they invited me in their RV and 
And I remember it had he, – he brought me in. He asked if I wanted to play MotoGP, and I was big into playing the video game MotoGP at the time. I think that would have been MotoGP3 at the time because it was like 2012. Actually, MotoGP2, it was 2012. and uh, Or I'm sorry, 2002. Holy cow. And uh, I, I remember I went in, and I was all excited. And he had – in the RV, it had a carpet ceiling. And on the, on the ceiling, it had – all of his knee pucks. So whenever he was done with a knee puck, he'd stick it up on the, on the ceiling of the RV and he pulled the knee puck down. It was made by asphalt and gas. I think is the company Josh Hayes used them his whole career. They're made out of leather. And um, it was a, it was in the shape of an alien's head. So it had like the eyeballs and everything. And it was, it was all worn down. He signed it, gave it to me. And uh, there was some racers, you know, that I won't name that as a kid, no matter what happened, I still looked up to them, but they didn't have time for autographs or they, you know, they didn't, I couldn't even find them at the track or whatever. And, and I was always bummed, like, man, I didn't get his autograph. And uh, so from a young age, I was always, I, I've always been into, you know, talking to the riders and trying to get autographs and collecting as many posters as I could. So I always wanted to be good at doing that. And I remember, you know, we had a friend, Leonard Milgren, growing up that told me, he saw me one day, like, as a kid, like trying to figure out an autograph. I think I was like 13 years old. And I was like, signing he was taking me to japan to go and watch the motegi moto gp race and we visited hrc and i was like on the plane signing autographs on a piece of paper and he you know he thought it was funny and he's like i he's like your autograph will never stay the same the more famous you get it's going to change because you're going to be lazy and you don't want to sign the autograph the same so my whole life i i always wanted two things i wanted to be you know popular with fans and kids and i wanted to keep my autograph the same and i've i've done both of those things and i think i have i think i'm you know pretty popular with with our group of fans i'm not saying all over the world but our moto america fans i'd say i'm you know pretty popular with and i try to be you know i try to talk to them as much as i can so i know i went into long story there but but it's it has always motivated me kids always motivate me and seeing them come up and be pumped to to be able to not only talk to you but maybe give them 5 minutes of your time and hang out with them or you know, if, 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 uh, everything goes right, you get to go and ride with them. And, and it's, it is very exciting. And, um, so with, with Griffin, it was kind of weird when Rachel was pregnant, we were saying we'd never want him to really race motorcycles. It, it would be cool if he was into motorcycles and was good enough that if we had the chance to go and ride with his friends or whatever, that he would be fast. And, you know, I, I, I read something or heard something on a video one time. I, I don't really want my kid to be great at, things but i want to be try enough things that he's never at a disadvantage like he can be good at basketball baseball golf racing so i obviously want him to do what he wants to do but if i had it my way i would like him to just be pretty good at everything um so that he never felt out of place and could just kind of fit in with with any group of people um so whatever he chooses to do is is what i'll support him in doing but for sure we're going to have a strider and probably I already got a PW 50 for, for Rachel's cousins this, this year. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully that bike will get passed down to Griffin whenever he's ready for it. But, um, racing makes me nervous. You know, I, I, it's a, it's a hustle. And, um, you know, my, my dad was put so much time and money and my mom did into me growing up and I know how difficult it is. And, and now me being, you know, I've been racing professionally now for, I think this is my 15th or 16th year. And it is, it is a grind. And if I wouldn't have had social media happen, I'm sure that my career would have been a lot harder than it has been to make money. Um, I've been very lucky 
that for those 16 years, there hasn't been one year where I haven't made money racing motorcycles and not only make money, but making enough money to pay all my bills and be able to do things that I want to do. So I've been very fortunate in life, but it is very hard. And it's, it's really hard sometimes reading comments from people. Like I grew up on the Wira forums, searching my name, just seeing what people were saying. You know, I was excited as a little kid seeing like, wow, there's people talking about me, but then I'd go on there and see them talking shit about me. And my dad and mom would always say, don't read that stuff. Don't respond. But I would always go on there and respond and I wouldn't say anything mean, but I would just defend myself. And that's what started. I think people really maybe, I wouldn't say becoming a fan of me, but respecting me, you know, I'd go on, you know, every week and I'd respond to somebody saying something bad about me. And then when social media came, it was just natural. Like I was like, Oh, this is, this is kind of like the weird forms. Like I just, and a big, it wasn't always talking shit. You know, I'd go on there and, and just talk to people and it makes it fun. You know, these, these people are people that love our sport. Like they love it enough that they buy the things that we wear just because we wear it, or they buy the motorcycles that we ride just because they're what we ride and they pay money to come watch the races and they pay for subscriptions to watch it on TV. And, and they're the only reason why we're able to do what we do. So, uh, it's like, it's a long story, like I said, but going back to the Griffin, I want him to grow up seeing that. I want him to see this whole thing. And if he wants to get into racing, great, I'll support him. And, uh, yeah, hopefully because of what my dad did for me and now what my career has been, and hopefully I can do those things for Griffin, but it will be a little bit easier than my dad had to do it because of all the connections that I now have. And, um, yeah, just hopefully it just keeps going on. There, there will always be motorcycles in the Heron household though. That's great. Well said, Josh. Yes. Very mature outlook from Josh Heron today. <laughs> I like it. All right, Josh. So talk about some changes. Um, for next year, you're changing classes, you're changing motorcycles, you're changing teams. Uh, there's basically nothing that you couldn't change that you haven't changed. Uh, you're going to be on the Warhorse, HSBK, Ducati, New York, Ponegali, V2. I know you've had a chance to, uh, to ride the bike on the street. I believe I've seen that on, on your social media. And uh, last week, you got the chance to ride the bike uh, at Daytona International Speedway, where obviously we're going to open our season with the Daytona 200 using Supersport with the new rules uh, that we've taken from FIM. That's going to see a lot more manufacturers racing in our series, including Ducati. Uh, they've obviously chosen you to, to do the heavy lifting and to take on this new project with the V2 racing in Moto America Supersport. So tell us a little bit about how the test went and what your impressions are of the motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like you said, I've, I have a stock V2 um, at my house. I've, I've done some street riding on it. And then I rode a V4 for the first time at Laguna and then and rode a V4 street fighter in New York city with the shop and then got to ride the Multistrada Pikes Peak and Palm Springs. So I've like, been trying to ride as many of these bikes as I can so I can get used to the way the engines are and stuff and just electronics on them and, and all that kind of stuff and the clutches and it's been been pretty exciting I think I rode more more Ducati models than any other brand just in the last month and then uh yeah like you said we went to Daytona this last weekend for the Arma race which was very very interesting because um as I'm sure you know that there there's I still don't even understand like most motorcycle riders. I don't really understand the differences in engines and all that stuff. But um, for the Armist stuff, it seemed like, you know, it's mainly a lot of, a lot of vintage stuff and then a lot of uh, twins. 
Um, so, and then there's the air cooled and there's water cooled bikes and the, I, I don't know for a fact, but I think we ended up doing like a 149.8. And I think the second place guy was like doing high fifties and that was second place. So imagine last place was doing, you know, 20, 30 seconds off what we were doing. And it was, I don't want to say it was scary because I never was scared, but, but it was crazy how like it was worse than going to a track day as far as closing speeds. Cause when I go to track day, I'm on a street bike. So I'm not like pushing really hard and it's a short track, you know, Daytona with slower than track day pace was, it was just insane. I couldn't believe the closing speeds on the banking. I felt like I was playing Frogger on the banking going 175 miles an hour, like leaned over and not that, but you're like in looking through the top of your visor. So the, the vision's already poor. And, uh, yeah, it was nuts. So it wasn't like the ideal place for testing, but we're going to go into Daytona being the only team that's, you know, had laps at Daytona this year. So, um, I'm really excited that we went, it was, uh, you know, when I, when I signed with this team, I told Bobby that the team manager, he owns a team. I'm not really sure what the title is, but he's the guy in charge of the team. I told him, I said, this year is all about having fun. Like I have to smile. I got to have fun. I, I can't have, you know, a bunch of pressure, which I can, I feel like I ride okay with pressure, but I, I just wanted it to be fun. Like that's the main focus is like in order for Josh to do good, we need to have fun. We need to be smiling at the track. We need to be going out to dinner with the team every night. We need to be having some drinks. Like we got to have a good time. And he's like, all right, yeah, yeah. That's what we're going to do. He's like, obviously we both want to win, but, but we'll make it a fun environment. So I show up to the hotel and he told me there was some guys from, from Italy coming and we're talking about Daytona now. He told me there was some guys from Italy coming. And so just kind of gave me a little heads up and I walked into the lobby of the hotel. I, I flew with my, my mechanic who some of you guys might know from track days out on the West coast or, or some racing uh, fuzzy. Um, and so I, I flew in with fuzzy and my other mechanic is, is uh, Cody who is Bobby Fong's mechanic for the last couple of years. So I, I, flying with fuzzy we land we go to the hotel and when we walk in there's like fucking the ducati <laughs> moto gp team there i'm like what what is this like literally like paolo chibati's there which already is like whoa uh Araldo Ferracci's there who he's a part of our team but that's another dude that's just like holy shit and then you have literally my crew chief is Fabio, I'm going to butcher his name so bad, but Fabio DG Antonio, right. is that how you say it? That's right. So he was his crew chief in Moto2 last year. They won a race in Moto2, so that's my crew chief for the whole year. Um, then you had Scott Redding's crew chief for the last three seasons. He was there. He'll be the, the head guy for the day. He's like in charge of the V2 program worldwide right now but he'll be like one of the head guys for us at Daytona for the 200. And then you had a data guy from factory Ducati who works with MotoGP. You had the Ducati factory world Superbike team, his engine builder there. Um, I had a Ducati MotoGP mechanic there. Who's going to be the Superbike mechanic for the team, but he's helping with Daytona. Um, it, it was just that the list goes on and on and on and on. And it was what I thought was going to be tons of pressure. 
um, and not fun <laughs> because now it's like, wow, we're, we have a way bigger role in developing this bike and being su successful this year than I thought. But it ended up being the best test I've ever had in my life. And I'm not just saying that because of Ducati's support. I, I'm not trying to like be the guy who I think a lot of people think I've been in the past where I'm like, this is the best bike. You need to buy this. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, took me the wrong way. Like I, I'm a motorcycle racer. My job is to sell motorcycles. When I go to a new brand, like I, I need to sell motorcycles. They're all good bikes. I've never, you know, no bike, obviously that's going to win professional races is a bad bike. So when you go to a new bike, it's like, wow, this is the first bike I rode other than the Yamaha or wow. I've never rode a BMW before. Like all these bikes are great bikes and I'm just showing what they're positive all the positive things in these bikes are so you know I, I i think a lot of people like misunderstand me for that and it's like dude i gotta make a paycheck just like you guys do and i'm not lying about it i'm just telling you the good things i'm not telling you all the bad things these bikes do um so i don't know why i went off on that right there but it, it just this was a very good test i felt so comfortable all these italian guys i i went into the season thinking that fuzzy and cody the two american guys when they told me they were going to be the mechanics, I'm like, sweet, these guys are going to bring out like a lot of good energy in the team. They're good. They're fun to be around. They always say hi to me and Rachel at the races and no offense to fuzzy and Cody, but they were the two most boring guys on the team. Like these guys brought out so much fun and we went to dinner every night. We had a good time. And like at the track, obviously this is a new bike on the racetrack. So they're, they're having growing pains. We're trying to figure out, all the different things going on and, and, you know, we're not going to go too far into everything, but, but it, it was just, you know, I think also where those guys stressed out because maybe if something went wrong with the bike, like we had a clutch that fried because we're on a stock clutch still because we, there's no, no other clutches available right now. So we had a clutch fry at Daytona cause we're doing, you know, multiple starts and the bike's getting hot cause it's a club race and it's sitting on the grid forever. And uh, these guys are stressed out and I think they, you know, they felt bad about it, but, I think just, you know, the more I race and the more seasons I have under my belt, it's like, okay, just, it's a new bike, Josh, like stay calm. And they respected that so much. And we, we were able to finish the test and with a very respectable time, obviously I have the lap record there from two years ago. Uh, it was a 48.3, uh, but the conditions were perfect. We're with a bunch of fast riders they are putting rubber down. You know, like I said, this is track day pace. I'm literally like 50 people on the track at a time. And I'm swerving in and out of them. So we don't really get any clear laps. We got less than 30 laps on this bike. I mean, literally less than 30 laps over three days on a bike that has never been to Daytona. So there's no data there. Don't even know what gearing to run. Like there's just so many question marks. And we were able to get down to a 49.7, I think, or 49.8 which was the fastest lap of the race from the Daytona 200 in 2021. So for us to have less than 30 laps on this thing and to be there, I think goes to show like it, these guys, the crew, I, 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 all of the you know credit I give to the crew because they worked so hard to be able to, the schedule is so weird. And like, if we missed, if we had one problem with the bike, we missed two sessions because like practice sections were so short. So we'd miss so much track time just because of that, the schedule. And they were able to get everything fixed and get ready. So we'd make one race for the day. And it, it was just such a fun time. Like where normally everybody would be so stressed out. These guys are like taking work serious, but they also know like we need to have some fun. Like we got to laugh about this. We can't just be mad about it. And because of that energy, like the whole team just worked so well and fed off of each other. And, and it, it just made it so fun to be there. It was the first test 
for sure the first test, but I would say the first time overall, it doesn't matter if I was racing or testing that I was looking forward to leaving the house to go and meet everybody and ride this bike. It was the first time that I rode a bike on a Friday and I was pumped to come back the next day. And it was the first time in years that I left on a Sunday and was wishing that I could stay and ride more. And I was looking forward to the next time I got to ride. And it's exactly what I told Bobby that I was looking for was to have a good time and enjoy myself and smile and feel like I could go and have a beer with the team and just, just enjoy the moment and be happy to be racing motorcycles. And I'm just pumped to be, to be, you know, moving forward with these guys and, and, and uh, hopefully having a good year. So Josh, you've, you've, um, done a lot of laps at Daytona on a super sport level bike and you you've done a lot of laps or quite a few laps on this new V2 and you also had a street bike version of it that you rode at uh, Laguna Seca at the um, Invitational that was out there the Velocity Invitational I know you couldn't really judge it too much from that but what from what you've ridden of the bike so far and what you know of super sport especially around Daytona what would you say are the things that that, that bike, that Panigale V2 does ex- exceptionally well compared maybe with some other bikes you've ridden? Um, to be honest, you know, when I first, when we first started riding it, there was, there was a lot of stuff that I was like, whoa, this feels weird, right? I mean, it's a totally different engine than anything I rode before. It's, it's the first single-sided swing arm I've ever rode before. But the, just even looking at it, like the shock is in a weird position compared to anything I've rode before. So it was just like a whole new thing. So it was very strange at first, but once I got get you know got going on it, and I it's hard, it's hard because the bike is so much different to like really say like oh it did this way better, it did that better. But the biggest thing, once we got we had to work on throttle delivery quite a bit. Like we were having some issues with with throttle delivery, just getting it to where I was comfortable with it. And once we got that fixed, because the guys worked really hard to get that done, and once we got that to where I, I liked it, I shouldn't say fixed, because what I was looking for, the bike was just, it was just so smooth. I mean, that, I don't know if it's that engine. I rode an XSR 700, which was a twin. Uh, it's like a naked yeah. twin that Yamaha makes. And just wheeling that thing was was always fun to me. Like, I enjoyed riding the bike. Um, there's There's something different about riding a twin like whenever you're full lean on it you you have to ride it different you really have to commit to turning the thing and getting it to the edge of the tire and until you kind of understand that it's really hard to explain what it is but the bike doesn't want to it for some reason it's like that middle point if you're like you know cruising on the street the thing rides great if you go to a track day and you don't like you have to like tell yourself like, okay, it wants to be on the edge of the tire. I need to just let it do it. Right. Like trust it and get it to the edge until I trusted it to do that. It didn't like, I couldn't get like super comfortable on it. It wasn't that anything was it was doing was bad, but it was just a different feeling that I'm used to. And, and it really just wants to race. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line is this thing wants to race. It wants to be leaned over and just kind of abused. Like you got to get your body off the bike. You got to, you just got to do what you want to do with the bike. And once I learned that, that thing was, was really good. And it, like I said, getting less than 30 laps is pretty hard to get accustomed to a bike. And, uh, you know, so I would say for us to do that time speaks, speaks, you know, quite well for the bike. And, uh, yeah, I just had fun on it, like leaving the pits, doing wheelies on it. 
I, I remember like coming into the pits cause there's no pit lane limit, you know, for those races or at that, that event. So coming in, I was just like six gear wide open and come around Daytona turn four and, uh, or the, the oval turn four and, and just come in backing it in and the pick, the, all the guys were like right on the left, obviously on hot pit wall. And I had it cranked so sideways that it was just pointing straight at them. And I could see all of them just like trying to figure out like, Oh shit, what, where do I, I'm trying to like find out where to escape this right now. Cause something's wrong. He's coming in sideways. Like it looks like I'm, I'm going to run right into him. And so the thing, like, obviously like, you know, I, I love backing in bikes and it, it was backing in like just so smooth and so fun. So I, like I said, just going into the year, if I can have fun, I'll do good. And this thing wheelied and backed in really well. And I was able to go fast on it. So that's all that matters to make me happy. And, uh, yeah, I think that was, that was something I really missed out on in the last couple of years, just wheeling and bikes. I mean, you don't realize how happy wheeling a motorcycle makes you. And if you can't do it, it's like kind of a bummer. So I, I really enjoy just wheeling this thing and, and, and just getting used to the crew and everything. So yeah, it's, I would say the engine for me was, was probably one of my favorite things, just how smooth it was and, and how torquey it is and the sound of it. Like, I don't, Paul, I'm sure maybe both of you, but if you ride a motorcycle that like sounds good, it, it just makes you have fun. Like just listening to that grunt coming out of the corner or just revving it. Like it, it just makes you smile and makes you have fun. You know, it's funny. This is a little bit of a comparison, but one of my favorite bikes to ride at home is my SRX 600, which is, you know, just this big single. And it's that feeling of just, you know, the torque and just twisting the throttle and your bike, you know, that V2 has got such reciprocal mass that, you know, turning, it's interesting because the gyroscope effect in the middle of it. But I want to ask you about that bike, another aspect of it. So obviously when we heard about this super sport next generation and we see the Panigale 955 V2 is on a super sport next generation list. And I'm, and we're all thinking, well, hell, a 955 was the super bike, not that long ago, but you know, we think back to when you were in super sport and Daytona sport bike before you had to go up against a Buell 1125 R V twin. And that was a crazy bike. And it was, it was like, you were doing everything you can in the corners. And, you know, unfortunately that was, that was a, that, class that Daytona sport bike was one that you really wanted to win. And I think we can equate that to super sport. Do you feel like with this bike, this is a chance for you to take care of some unfinished business and there will be balancing with this bike, but do you feel fairly confident that this thing's got, this package is going to be something that you can definitely do something with in, in that middleweight class as they, so to speak, even though that bike's not really a middleweight. I, yeah, it's for sure going to be a, you know, a bike that we can win races on, you know, the, it's I'm comfortable on it already. The team is great. And and like you said, we had to race against Ducatis and Buells back in the day, which I don't remember what you just said that CCs were, but I know it was at least an 1100 CC Buell. And, you know, we were able to beat that thing. And, and, you know, it's, you got to ride them totally different. This bike, you got to point and shoot a lot. It's, it's, you know, you have to get into the corner. I think maybe that has to do a lot with it. Not really loving, you know, being, you got to just, you got to get in, break, get the thing, turn and go. Cause it's torquey. It likes, it likes, you know, it's, it's, that's where, where you're going to make up, you know, time on this bike versus say an R6 or something, but I don't know what, what top ends like or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but I would challenge anybody who I see a lot of negativity about this, this class. I would challenge anybody to, to go out and just, just try and do the same times that you're doing on the R6. Cause I don't think that like a lot of people are saying, Oh, it's, this bike is unfair for that class. And it's, it's not, I mean, there's a reason why they put it in the class. There's a reason why FIM believes that it's a bike that's fine for that class. And, and, 
yeah, it's, it's going to be good racing. I don't think there's going to, we're not going to be walking away from anybody on the thing. And, you know, it's, it's tricky to, to understand how to ride this bike. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I think it will be competitive. Yeah. But like I said, are we going to be walking away from anybody? No, it's going to be, it's going to be hard all year long. And I hear that there's a chance that even now Suzuki is going to be running seven fifties, which like what, I don't understand, but it's, it's, uh, like now what, what about, what about the R6? So now they have to come out with a 750 or something like it's, it's, it's not like everybody thinks. And, and that, you know, us going to Daytona and doing the lap times that we did shows, I mean, it, we're on the same, same bikes that, that, uh, that the guys last year that did the 200, we're doing the same, same lap times as them. And, and whenever we went, we were on, on good tires also, like Dunlop had some, some good tires that we were running. It wasn't, probably not even the tires we're going to be running, running for the race. So it's, um, yeah, it's going to be hard work. It's not, it's not like everybody, everybody thinks it is. Oh, oh it's, look at the CCs. Well, it's a twin, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about them, but I know it's, it's different. It's, it's not, it's not like I'm going out there on, on, uh, the V4. That's not like what it feels like. This thing isn't, you know, it's, it's a great bike. I had fun on it, but it's, it's not like a freaking super bike for sure. You know, it's, it's so different to see in these, these different colors are, you know, the, the post of you with, with, uh, uh, um, Chibati, I, sorry, with Chibati and you were all with Ducati red and all that stuff. And it's like quite a change for you because you saw so much blue with you before, but I want to ask you a little bit of something. This is a little bit out of left field. I am not really into Eastern religions too much, but I do know that the, in, in, uh, I think it's in India or in some of these religions, the third eye that they, they talk about is on your forehead and it's supposed to see into your soul or something like this. You've got this character, this, this melting smiley face with a third eye in the middle. What is, is that some kind of cosmic like Eastern religion thing or am I reading too much into it? What's going on there? <laughs> it's just, just something that me and my buddy John John have fun with. It's, uh, you know, I think um, if you look back at the Yoshir, I had, I had the, the uh the all-seeing eye on on the on my hump you know if you look at where now the american flag is i had the eye there and it's just you know for in 2018 i wore you know i had the all-seeing eye like necklace every time i race and it's it's uh it's just something we have fun with and you know if you look into it though you know that there's there's some stuff behind it you know i'm not going to get into it but it's you know you, you either believe in it or you don't it's 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 fun either way and and i like it you know i think the smiley face it it just goes to show like I just from trying to have fun but I'm also trying to turn that into a brand you know it's it's um I, I realized that like merchandise was doing well but but also not everybody wants to wear a Josh Heron shirt you know so it's they don't want to wear a shirt with my name on the back of it to dinner you know maybe they wear it at the race but they don't want to go dinner in it or somewhere with their family so um I want something that we can have fun with and and the smiley face was my best friend John John's idea he uh you know he's, he's always he's the creative side of Josh Heron I'm the I'm the fast fast racer john john's the creative side and and rachel's the smart side <laughs> so i got i got you know the three there you go the three eyes it's good <laughs> but it's uh yeah we're always always just trying to have fun and and with youtube like we're trying to push merchandise and stuff so um yeah the smiley face was, was just something we're having fun with and and i love it hopefully trying to talk talk awry into to doing a replica out of it that was jeff part of my deal with jeff uh, from Mariah was that we were going to get a replica helmet and, and everybody's pushing for it on social media now. And, and, uh, so, so hopefully we see one soon and, and that smiley face will be up there for sure. All right. I'm going to, um, cut you loose here in a second. I just have one really important question and I hope the answer is the one that I'm hoping for. 
but um you, you know i know there's uh, the only reason i ask is i know there's one you know like across the street but i just i'm just hoping that you didn't take paulo uh, paulo chiabati to olive garden <laughs> yeah, I, I brought him some fresh some lean. oh yeah there you go uh <laughs> no i brought him to uh where did we go um when we were in daytona Yale we took House. him to uh <laughs> i'm trying i was trying to think of some really shitty italian chain well, I, I think i nailed it <laughs> no dude we yeah, you did. You did. We actually went, man, we went to this. I don't know if you heard about it, but in Daytona, it's called Mama Fufu. And it was, it was actually pretty bomb. Apparently, you know, uh, I, th- I think um, Farachi talked him into, if we win the 200, we're going there for a party afterwards. So yeah, Mama Fufu's in Daytona. That's, that's where we'll end up if we win for sure. Cause they liked it. And it was like all the Italian guys, you had like all these, uh, I guess you could call them like cougars. It was, it's like a cougar den. We we're like out by the bay, and there's there's like all these fancy yachts and stuff. And so there's like all these older ladies, good looking older ladies in there walking around, maybe looking for a guy. And all these Italian guys were just going nuts. <laughs> they loved it. It was it was like their heads were gonna break. They were looking at all uh, these people. You may end up there every night. That that's a dangerous crowd, Josh. But you're gonna get some good carb loading anyway. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was man. It was the most fun that I've had at a race in a long time these guys are they're a fun crew to hang out with and I, I think you guys will see you know if we if you guys are over there a lot you'll see I'm sure that you were over there a lot last year but it seems like there's more Italians this year and yeah it'll be uh it'd be fun for everybody in the paddock I think for sure and and um yeah I, I'm looking forward to it the team is awesome and it's it's cool another thing I just wanted to touch on my my uh crew chief Marco the one I told you is DG Antonio's crew chief. He worked for VR 46 for a long time. He, he, um, it was pretty crazy. Like I, I told him we, we had a talk and he speaks pretty good English, but you know, still language barrier there. And I told him, you know, like, Hey, I want to come in and just tell you what's going on with the bike. And that's it. I don't want to hear the explanation for why you're changing something. I don't want to hear what I should feel, what I shouldn't feel or what you think the bike will do. I, I just want to tell you what I'm feeling and I want to walk away and that's it. Cause I don't want to overthink everything. And we talked a little bit about, you know, like rear brake, like, Hey, he wants me to try using rear brake mid corner. Cause all the GP guys are doing rear brake. I'm like, well, last year, the guy I was working with didn't want me using the rear brake. He told me not to use it ever. I told literally didn't even have a rear brake on the bike. I remember the first test I went to, I said, dude, there's no rear brake. I came in right away. Said, yeah. You don't need a rear brake that that's going to, affect the way the bike rides and i don't want you using a rear brake i'm like dude you need a rear brake what are you talking about you gotta drag the rear brake mid corner no and so i never had a rear brake all year and this guy from moto 2 is telling me hey you need to use a rear brake this is why the bike's doing this in the middle of the corner and i'm like yeah no i need to just i gotta break through my head now to use it or you know there's some other just some other weird stuff man that all my these years i've like had this gut feeling like even about dragging my elbow I feel like I would come in and tell the crew like I'm dragging my elbow I feel good and they'd look at me like why are you bragging about dragging elbow like that's not what matters like focus like they'd always think I was just doing it because I thought it was cool this guy was like are you dragging your elbows what he asked me in the first session I was like no he's like he's like okay we're you're not you're not comfortable on the bike then you need to be able to lean the bike over and and be aggressive with the bike so it's just it was so 
I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but it, it, it made me feel so well inside to hear somebody saying these things that for years I've thought, but I feel like I was in a way, like people were looking at me like, wait, why do you care about that stuff? And it's all kind of coming full circle now. And like, I think that in America, we need to do a better job at looking to Europe at what they do and listening to the way that they talk about the motorcycles, because it seems like they're, you know, some steps ahead of us. And maybe there's some things that we do better, but it seems like for the most part, those guys, they treat it like they're in school. Like this is all they care about. That's, that's what they know. And there's a reason why the best riders in the world are over there. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it was, it's cool, man. Having a different approach to the way that, it, you know, somebody's talking about the motorcycle was, was pretty neat. And I just wanted to kind of shout out to the the guys on the team, the, the whole, the whole team is, is awesome to work with. And, and it's just, just refreshing. You know, I've, I've obviously a great relationship with crew in the past. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying that it's a totally different approach and just, I guess the Italian lifestyle away from the track and at the track, just keeping positivity going and, and just the way they're talking about the bike is, was really refreshing. That's the word I'm looking for. And, and uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be, be uh, really good for me. And, and I hope I'm hoping, you know, you brought up Josh Hayes earlier. I'm hoping that I can, that I can afford to keep him around because he helped me out a lot. I'm hoping that by me plugging Josh Hayes right now as a really great coach, maybe he'll get me a deal this year <laughs> on some, some coaching at the track. Cause I, I need deals with that guy. I think, I think he probably just raised the price knowing that you want him. Oh, he wants me. Let's raise the price. Maybe Rachel will be the, maybe Rachel can babysit, you know, you go. his two kids at the track and exchange. The equation, she'll get it done. But, um, as I've often thought, the world would be a better place with more Italians in it. And I think you're learning that and you'll continue to learn that. So they're good people. And uh, I, we're happy for you, Josh, that you've landed in a spot that that uh, will probably make you happy and, and you'll win some races and maybe even a championship. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. And uh, yeah, we'll see you down the road. Maybe we can go for a bicycle ride or something before we get to Daytona. But uh, I'm sure we'll run into each other at some point. Yeah, just so you guys know, I asked Paul if we could, like, set up this podcast at, like, Dofa Winery or somewhere <laughs> cool, so we had, like, some cool motorcycle vibes, and he told me, I don't have any time for that, and then the first thing you talk about when you get in the podcast is how great your long bicycle ride was yesterday. I wasn't long. It, was long. it was just my little <laughs> lunch break, okay? <laughs> well, truth, truthfully, Josh, what it was is he knew I would feel bad because I couldn't be there with you. So you guys would be enjoying the sunshine and here I'm on the phone, you know, so. <laughs> All right, boys. So, well, Paul, you're welcome to come over for some Italian coffee at the truck anytime you want. All right, I will do so. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, guys. See you, Thanks, you guys. Josh.